Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Dr. Tim Chartier will join us to discuss Get in the Game. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science show. What is sports analytics and how can we use mathematics to understand sports better? Well, joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. Tim Chartier. Dr. Chartier is Joseph R. Morton Professor of Mathematics and Computer Science at Davidson College. He is known for his expertise in sports analytics and bracketology and for his popular math books and for MIMEthics, combining MIME and mathematics. He has penned the new book, Get in the Game. An Interactive Introduction to Sports Analytics. Dr. Chartier, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. Thanks for having me. I'm curious why you decided to put your book together, Get in the Game. Well, partially because I do a lot of work in bracketology and with sports teams. I do a lot of speaking around the country, and high school students and middle school students come to my talks, as do college students who aren't necessarily math majors. And what I found is that a lot of times what they were trying to figure out is where do I begin and what kinds of things can I consider? And if you don't code, you don't do Python coding or R coding. One way you can begin to look at sports analytics and some of the problems you can do is through probability. And so this book actually takes a look at probability, but you don't need any of that background. All you need is to flip a coin or roll a die and you can begin to do sports analytics as evidenced in the book. So a lot of it has to do with these unforgettable moments that we see in sports. And when we see a moment, how unforgettable will it be? (laughs) They see these stats, these things, oh, that's a one in a million shot, but how likely are these events and how do we go about first step to try and approach these things? Yeah, so one way to do it is in the book, we look at Stephen Curry, and he's, of course, a generational player. He's also an alum of my college. I taught here when Stephen was in college. And I take a particular time early in his career when he shot 11 of 13 three-pointers. And even before, that was before social media was absolutely what it is today. And so the question is, well, how unlikely is that? And so he was shooting around 43% from behind the three-point line at that time. So you can estimate it as a coin flip, 50-50. And so all you do is you just literally flip a coin 13 times and can you get 11 out of 13? So someone may want to just try it. I guarantee you if you try it, if you get it today, you can look at as your lucky day because it's less than 1% likely that that actually will happen. And so it is not terribly likely that it happens. But one of the other things brought up in the book is that sometimes people will say, whoa, Stefan was really hot that day. But you can also look at it as, okay, that's fine. But what about if you shoot like Stephen Curry, what's the likelihood that some string of 13 shots will have 11 out of 13 over 600 shots? And the 600 comes from, that's how many three-pointers he attempted 
in that regular season. And I'm not breaking it between games when I make that statement, but it's around 60% of the time. And that's why some people say, well, I'm not sure there's really a hot hand. And other people say there really is a hot hand. And there's kind of an argument in there about all of that. It turns out statistically, we've never really proven whether there is or there isn't. And many people, they feel they have the mojo. I believe I have the mojo. (laughs) But that's the kind of thing that comes into this is you can often think about, you don't have to look at the exact 43%. But can you find something that can be estimated by a coin flip or the rolling of a die? Turning the question on its head, what is the likelihood that some player at some point at some time is going to have this lucky streak? And it might not be all that unreasonable that somebody will have a streak occurring in some games sometime. Yeah, that's one of the things I actually teach in class is that if you think of unlikely experiences, like a one in a million thing, like you were bringing up, that's a one in a million shot. If there's a one in a million occurrence, Well, how many one in a million occurrences do we have that actually happen during the day? Well, many of them don't happen, but we have many, many, many occurrences in our life. So it actually is not that unlikely that there's a one in a million occurrence that happens in our life. What makes it unlikely is that you go, I'm going to have this particular one in a million thing happen today. That's highly unlikely. (laughs) You're going to be able to guess what it is. But the fact that those happen periodically is actually not that surprising. Do you find that people are surprised? They start to think about sports differently? Yes. And the one of the things, just turning to March Madness, I do a lot of work, as you mentioned in the introduction, in bracketology. At, at times during some March Madness, this year we have a theater production at Davidson College, and I, we don't have the theater, the large theater open. But many years, I'll have four to 600 middle and high school students come to Davidson College, and I teach them bracketology methods that are simple, but that you can use and give you your own personal bracket. And the the schools go back, and the kids are immediately trying to kind of think the functions that they'll put into these things, and they are immediately engaged. And part of the thing that's important in this is that it is actually not always and actually often not the heavy sports fan that will actually win, because a heavy sports fan might think through a really good math model, but particularly I live in North Carolina, that if you are a heavy North Carolina or Duke fan, if one of those teams does distinctly better than the other, and that's not the school you root for, they will change their mathematical model (laughs) in order to fit what they want to see. For a general sports fan outside North Carolina, what that means is if you have a lot of sports knowledge, Sometimes you actually try to get the math to confirm what you already believe. And that's a real danger and something you have to watch in analytics. Not just in sports, I think the data. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we're about to go into a political season when we see some of that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, how do those people who are sort of casual fans, not casual fans, or even the major sports organizations, how do they embrace analytics in terms of their use of it in particular arenas? Well, one of the things for the casual fan is that if you are watching a TV show and or just watching a broadcast, the fact they bring up analytics all the time, like they'll say the Hornets or the Warriors or the Bucks, whoever it is, the Lakers haven't shot like that since. And then they give you a date. And then that's something where if it's way back, it's like, whoa, I'm, if it might be surprising, it might not be surprising how unlikely that is. And that's a place where analytics is being used. And I have a friend that is a broadcast statistician, and he always points out that the real goal of the statistics given during a game 
is to allow you to look at the game with that stat in mind in terms of, wow, this player has never played like this and we still have another quarter to go and they, they're already at their high score. In terms of a more serious fan, a lot of times they're interested in either arguments that they want to have with the people about who's the best or, or things like that. It can come into some people with sports betting. I actually do consulting for the NBA on sports betting issues dealing with game integrity, which is like fairness of the game. And then when it comes to the sports organizations, I've supported teams in the NFL, the NBA, NASCAR, actually, given where I'm located, and then also Major League Baseball, where I have independent studies here at Davidson College, where we are supporting a NASCAR team and we're supporting a Major League Baseball team. And one of my honor students is working with the NBA, the NBA League office with data that they have. All of those are analytics questions that those teams are interested in. And the movie's becoming a bit more dated, but nonetheless, the movie Moneyball is kind of a way to look at it. That one side that professional organizations are interested in is how do we play better? Now in Moneyball, they actually had a heavy advantage because they were using analytics where other teams were not. Today, you want to be using analytics in a way that other people are not. But basically, all of the teams are using analytics. So you also can't not use it at all because you kind of fall behind in terms of the curve. The one thing I will say really quick, this is covered at the end of the book because I started a sports analytics group here at Davidson College, and it talks about how do you work with like a local team and with coaches, is that one of the big things is that analytics are not meant to replace decision-making. It's just an opinion from data. It's just like a math model where some of it's true and some of it, like something weird might happen in the game. So that data is no longer relevant to that particular circumstance. And so it's just a way to give other information to a coach in order for them to make the decisions that they want. And so all of that is kind of wrapped up into why we're in this kind of analytics world and the, just the amount of data that we can get from data on how players, their heart rate to help them with anti-injury, their nutrition to their actual playing can potentially give them insight on how to play the game better. Gives you the long-term probability odds in any given day that something will go one way or the other. Yeah, and that's a really important point because sometimes when somebody makes a decision, they actually make the right decision. If I had a quarter, for instance, that's 90, it's heavily weighted, it's 90% likely to come up heads. Your best bet is to bet heads, but one out of 10 times, it could come up tails. And the fact that it comes up tails doesn't mean that you made the wrong decision, but that's part of what plays into March Madness is that we will have data that makes it completely clear that one team is over 90% likely to win that game. And, and you, you know it, but it's March Madness. And it could be that that day, the stars aligned and that other team just things worked and they won the game. And that's part of why I think we watch the games that we watch is because we enjoy that randomness. As a professor, one of the things that I like about sports analytics is it also under it emphasizes the point that life itself has randomness. So you can make good decisions. You can be making good decisions that are actually, in terms of probability, the right way to go. But it doesn't mean that they're always going to fall your way. And that's your point about predictive, is that if it was 100% predictive, you would know exactly what to decide. And you have to be forgiving to yourself when sometimes it's like, ooh, wow, 
that was unexpected. And you may be entirely correct that it's very unexpected, but it's just the way it happened that day. It's that old adage of know the things you can't control, know the things you can. They won't fall your way. <laughs> That's a wonderful way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> To that extent that I present this sort of statistical analytical point of view to folks, what is the most surprising or counterintuitive thing that people take out of it? I think one of the things that a lot of times is actually part of the point is the fact that it is just an opinion. Is I think that sometimes in our culture, partially because we tend to look at mathematics as black and white, like it's all right, it's all wrong. In applied math, which I have a PhD in applied mathematics, it's rarely completely right or completely wrong. Life is so complicated that, you know, we get that with the weather. It's, it's, a, it's applied math models that are predicting the weather. And you can actually show that it, you can't get it right all the time because it's a, what's called a dynamical system is that small changes can have big impacts on things. And so the fact that we're right as much as we are is actually really comforting. It doesn't necessarily feel that way when it rains and you weren't expecting it, but nonetheless that can be a factor. And I think that those things in terms of the decision-making part are often the parts that surprise people. And also that you don't have to be a major sports fan to play a role, that you can jump right in and find a place. And that sports analytics group I have at Davidson College, we started with three students and it grew to 100 students and we're a campus of 2000 and everyone had a role. We had art majors, English majors, econ majors, math majors, computer science majors, all playing a role because there are many, many sides to data analytics and the communication of data science insight. Successful in grabbing a lot of people interested in this for those folks that are out there, maybe feel a little bit intimidated by just getting involved. What would you recommend? If you want to work with a coach, the best way to start is to just literally say, what do you do with data? What do you already do? And you're looking for something that you could do for them so that you're saving them coaching time. The one thing to be careful of is that if you pick that up, a coach will depend on you to be reliable and to be accurate. So you have to be sure that that's the case. And then you have to learn what the coach wants if you're trying new things, is that you probably need to show it to them. When we started, we met with two assistant coaches for two months to start that. And then you begin to, bring, to build your toolkit. A lot of the things that are in the get in the game book deal with what I would call fan analytics. How likely was that? Was that really surprising? Coaches don't tend to be as interested in that. It's not going to really help them, if you will, coach the game to know that something was. And maybe if it's common, like the tendencies of a team tend to be pretty important, but that's a little different than kind of the type of thing that we're talking about in that book. But fans really enjoy that. And that's actually a really important point about data analytics is what we found in our data analytics group, the sports analytics group at the college, is that <laughs> what coaches want and what fans want tend to not overlap a whole lot, that things that fans just really enjoy are not what's called coachable. To give you a quick example of that, the fact that Stefan making 11 out of 13 in that game in Madison Square Garden, the fact that that was like 0.04% like likely, that's not very helpful for a coach. But man, that was all over the place the next day for fans. And so one of the nice things about that is that like the get in the game, many of those probability ideas are very successful. And so it may be that you don't actually help a coach per se, but coaches are very interested in fans being engaged in their teams. So you can support in that way and possibly 
work with the people, like if you have a jumbotron or something like that, or if somebody's writing a newsletter or they're pushing out social media, those types of little tidbits are very wonderful for those types of parts. And that's part of what I mean by there's all kinds of ways to kind of tie in to sports analytics. I'm curious if you have any final words regarding your book or the sports analytics. The one thing that I do say every year when, when I would talk to students or when they come in my office is, is, is that, and I will act like your audience is sitting in my office, is that if you have interest in looking at sports through the lens of math and analytics, is just get in the game, just jump right in. And my book is a place to start. And you can also look at the analytics that's being done by teams and then ask, how would you do it? And you just make a step and you move forward. And you can be getting in the game yourself and enjoying the game in a new way. Well, I certainly hope people will get in the game. And I will close by saying we were talking with Dr. Tim Chartier, his new book, Get in the Game, an interactive introduction to sports analytics. Dr. Chartier, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thanks, Charles. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.